morning, TLC. It is Advent season. It is one of my favorite seasons. I have always loved Christmas. I think part of that was because I grew up in a big family. And if you grow up, grow up in a big family, you know you don't get random gifts, okay? Like you got two chances for a gift if you grew up in a big family. Your birthday, assuming your parents don't forget, and Christmas, all right? And so I always looked forward to Christmas. What Advent has begun to do for me is help me learn to enjoy the season before Christmas in a new way. It's allowed me to recognize that God wants to not only remind me that he has broken into our world some 2,000 years ago, but he wishes to break into our world again today in a fresh new way. And so that's what I have been praying for us. If there's ever been a time that we need somebody to break in and give us some good news, it's now. Uh, This past March, John Krasinski, uh, who's probably better known as Jim Halpert uh, from The Office, uh, started a YouTube news station called Some Good News, the SGN channel. Uh, I want to show you guys this Some Good News, uh, two quick clips that are going to come together from... Some good news. Good evening, everybody. Even though it is very clearly the afternoon, and welcome to SGN. John, what is SGN? That's a good question. For years now, I've been wondering, why is there not a news show dedicated entirely to good news? Well... Desperately seeking my fix somewhere else, I reached out to all of you this week, asking, nay, begging, for some good news. And boy, did you deliver. After reading those replies and the incredibly heartwarming stories that came with them, I thought, all right, enough is enough, world. Why not us? Why not now? So, ladies and gentlemen, this is your fault, and this is SGN. I'm John Krasinski, and if it isn't clear yet, I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. And now, for some good news. Being that it's 2020, it's now technologically possible for hope to simply fall from the skies. And in Fall Kirk, Scotland, This father was forced to self-isolate while his daughter underwent chemotherapy. Well, after two months of air hugs out the window, today was a new day. But you don't walk me up. You don't have to do air hugs anymore. Can I get a real hug? Yeah. Oh, I love you. Love you. How are you? Are you? <laughs> oh, all right, it's a little early, all right, for that heavy. Uh, some good news. The first episode 
had almost 20 million views. He did a total of eight episodes, and between the eight episodes over the last seven months, they've been viewed nearly 70 million times. Why? Because it's 2020, (laughs) and we can all use some good news. This is exactly what I think God has for us today. If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to open up to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Uh, now, before we dive in, though, let me give a little bit of context of what's happening here in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Jesus has just been baptized by his cousin John, John the Baptizer, who uh, has baptized him in the Jordan River, and the text says that the Spirit descended on him like a dove. So, Spirit comes down on Jesus after he's baptized. The Spirit then leads Jesus into the wilderness. Uh, Austin talked a little bit about the wilderness last week. Uh, This is actually the Judean wilderness. That's what it looks like. Sometimes when we think of wilderness, we think of like Alaska. Nah. (laughs) That's where the Spirit led Jesus for the next 40 days. And the text actually says that the Spirit led Jesus there to be tempted by Satan. So for 40 days, Satan is tempting Jesus. Uh, Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days to mirror, because Luke has Jesus mirroring uh, the nation of Israel. Okay, Luke has Jesus uh, being born in Bethlehem, but then going away to Egypt for a time, then coming back into the promised land. Uh, He's in the wilderness now for 40 days to mirror Israel's 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And after Jesus is able to do what Israel could not, uh, which is not give in to the temptation, okay, Uh, same for all of us, Jesus does what none of us can do. He comes back and re-enters Galilee. Uh, Galilee is kind of the northwest side of Israel. Uh, It's where Jesus was raised in Nazareth and He goes to the synagogue, and this is where we pick up the story in Luke chapter 4. Start reading with me in verse 14. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. Uh, In the uh, original Greek, uh, it actually says, this is the way. Just kidding, Luke was not Mandalorian, but that's exactly uh, the concept. And I'm not going to dive into this too much, but uh, I will simply say this. Uh, Whether you're here with us in person or whether you're joining us online, gathering together uh, in that way, uh, if Jesus needed church every week, we probably do too. There's power and value in gathering, whether it's online or in person. Certainly in person is ideal. We recognize that it's in the middle of a pandemic, which is raging here in the States and West Michigan specifically. And so we want to be as careful and cautious as we can. But can I just remind all of us, uh, we need one another. We need each other. If Jesus needed the synagogue, the gathering of God's people, on a weekly basis. How much more is that true of us? Uh, Jesus 
Then, as was his custom, goes to the synagogue. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. And now Jesus is about to quote from Isaiah chapter 61. Uh, Jesus, at least the way Luke quotes what Jesus is saying, um, he's probably quoting uh, Isaiah 61, but we think he's probably started reading even before that. At least probably back in 58, if not 57, Jesus would have read more. We don't think Luke gives us everything that Jesus said. He's just giving us a snippet to kind of help us understand what Jesus is about in this moment. And so we read this. Jesus, reading from Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Which sounds funny, because like in our, like when I sit down, it just means I'm done, right? That's, but in that day and age, uh, sitting down meant you were ready to teach. That's when you were going to say something. Okay, so he goes and he sits down. All eyes were affixed on him at this point. He's just read this passage. He's sitting down. He's now going to teach it, explain it. It says, he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Man, that's like some stinking heavy, heavy words, right? Because what Jesus has just said is the spirit of the Lord is on me. He's quoting uh, they know Isaiah 61. They get the context. In fact, Luke's readers, as he is writing this, he knows that his readers that are going to read what he's written, they not only know Luke 61, they get the context of it. You, you and I, we don't as well. Like, we kind of hear this every now and then, but my guess is for most of you, it's probably been a while since you've spent a lot of time in the prophet Isaiah. So what I'd like for us to do is jump back to Isaiah 61 just so that we can get a little bit of the context because I promise you, Luke's readers, they understood the context. Jesus' listeners absolutely understood the context. We don't know how much of Isaiah he actually read, but we do know he at least said, the spirit of the Lord is on me to proclaim. And he lists some amazing things, some really good news that he's proclaiming, right? Freedom, healing, God's favor. Jump back with me to Isaiah 61. While you're turning there, okay, it's all right. If you need to open up table of contents in the front of your Bible, you can find it. It's about this far back, okay? Uh, we need to get a little bit of context of what's happening in Isaiah to know why Isaiah writes this. Now, Isaiah is a prophet, Isaiah is living in Jerusalem when he is writing this. Uh, at this point in Israel's history, uh, Israel has been divided into two different nations, basically. You've got the northern kingdom, all right, which had 10 tribes. You've got the southern kingdom, which was the major tribe, the tribe of Judah, uh, and also the tribe of Benjamin that the Levites kind of lived in. That was where Jerusalem, the capital city, was, all right? Uh, at this point, 
when Isaiah is writing, we're pretty confident that Assyria has already come in and taken the northern kingdom into exile. It's been destroyed. Uh, um, Assyria is basically ruling over it, but that has not happened yet in the southern kingdom. Eventually, Babylon's going to come. This is what Isaiah is writing about. He's saying, look, Judah, not you, Judah, but the other Judah, the tribe, he's like, look, if you don't turn back to God, what happened to the northern kingdom is going to happen to us. And so he's writing all of these words to them. Now, as he's writing this, though, it is filled with warnings and judgments and discipline, but it's also filled with good news. Uh, Good news because of God's work and because of God's Love. And so uh, we see here in Isaiah 61 what Jesus just quoted this good news. Let's read it right here. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Who's doing the action? In Isaiah 61. Go ahead, jump back and look at it. Who's doing the action? Come on, it's not hard. God, yes, the anointed one. Right? The anointed, that's the one who's doing all the action. All right? Now, uh, everybody that read Isaiah, uh, Jews in the first century, they understood that Isaiah was talking about the Messiah. Uh, anointed one, or Messiah just literally means anointed one, okay? The one who's been sent, who's been prepared, who's been uh, anointed to bring this message, to do this thing. So uh, they know who Isaiah is talking about. And we see all these things that the anointed one, the Messiah, is going to do. It's crazy stuff, man. I mean, talk about good news. Good news to the poor, binds up, brokenhearted claims freedom, releases people from darkness, claims the year of God's favor, God's going to take care of stuff, provides comfort, bestows a crown of beauty, oil of joy. You're like, oil of joy, that's weird. Think of that as like perfume, okay, or hair gel, all right? It's like a mixture of both of those things, things that make you look good, feel good, okay? A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, Like that person, God's anointed, the Messiah, the one sent by God, God himself is doing the work. All that stuff. And not only that, but he actually says that he is going to make those folks that he's doing this for oaks of righteousness, and then he's going to plant them in his own garden. Now, uh, oaks of righteousness... Without having a little bit of context, you're not going to understand exactly what that means. So uh, Isaiah has been using this idea of oaks, oak trees, as uh, uh, some symbolism. So back in chapter 1 and also in chapter 57, oaks are kind of connected to false religion. 
and the evil that Israel has been doing in God's sight. And now what he says is the anointed one, the Messiah, is going to come, and he's going to turn those evil trees, basically, into oaks of righteousness. All right? And the oak tree as we know it today in Michigan is like super, super strong tree. Like it was the same concept, the same types of trees back in Israel. These were strong, powerful trees. And God says, yo, even though they've been used for bad things, I'm going to make them oaks of righteousness. And again, who does it? God does it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not because the oaks tried really hard. Okay. It's not because they just grit their teeth and just like, no, God says, I'm going to do this. Listen to this quote from Dr. Oswald. He says, this is not the work of a human prophet. Rather, it's the work of the Messiah, the anointed, who is prophesied throughout the book. He will make of his people what they cannot make of themselves. He will make of his people what they cannot make of themselves. And then if you were to continue to read, you'd see in verse 4, because of what God has done, then his people then partner with him to restore and redeem the world. We fix things that are broken. We remake stuff. We, we build it back up, all right? That's the, that's the cool thing that those who the anointed one has come to set free has turned into oaks of righteousness. So that's the cool stuff we get to do now with God. But it's 2020. <laughs> like, what if you don't feel like all that stuff that's been written is actually true? Well, like, what if you don't feel like your broken heart has been bound up these last few months? Uh, what if you don't feel free from your chains or feel released from the darkness? Uh, maybe these last number of months, like, you've, you've really been trying or at least you wanted to try, but it just feels like every time that you do, you're failing. You don't feel set free. You, you feel like a failure. I mean, I do. <laughs> 2020 has not felt like the year of God's favor. Like of all the years in my 46 years of life, 2020 feels like the least likely to be the year of God's favor. If I'm the one that has to make it so. Can God really make of me what I cannot make of myself? That's the key question here, isn't it? Can God make of me what I cannot make of myself? All of these things that God has said that I may not be feeling right now, that I may not be seeing right now, that I may not be experiencing, can God actually do it? Can he do it still? That, that is, I think, the question of 2020. <laughs> what's been broken down? What's been stolen? What's been taken? My failures. Can God actually still do what he said He's going to do. Flip back with me to Luke chapter 4. Back in verse 21, we're reminded what Jesus says. Because this is a big deal. Luke chapter 4, verse 21, Jesus says, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, the people that Jesus is speaking to there in the synagogue, they want it to be true, 
but they refuse to believe it to be so. They want it to be true, but they refuse to believe it to be so. And there's a lot of us like that. Uh, we want what Jesus says about us to be true, but we don't believe it to be true. Uh, in fact, if we were to continue reading in Luke chapter 4, it's kind of crazy. Um, they actually get so angry with Jesus that those in church, the synagogue, <laughs> the religious folk, okay, they actually grab Jesus and they rough him up to the edge of a cliff where they intend to throw him over. A day where Jesus has basically inaugurated his ministry, God himself bringing good news to anyone who would believe this opportunity for an unbelievable blessing turns into anger, cynicism, and almost death, all because they wouldn't believe. How often is this true of us? How often does that become true of us? We can become so cynical because it's like, well, but God, I want that to be true. I want what you say, but I don't see it right now. I'm not feeling it right now. I'm not experiencing it right now. In fact, sometimes we feel like it's kind of going the opposite way. The folks there in the synagogue had the opportunity to be blessed by God Almighty, by Jesus, if they would only believe. Can faith actually be more real than our experience? I mean, that it really sounds kind of too good to be true. At least it does for me often. And yet it is Everything that I base my life on. Uh, do you remember the guy from uh, Falkirk, Scotland? In Some Good News? The dad who for two months had to self-isolate because his daughter was going through chemo treatments? He had to go to a window. He had to give air hugs. And the day came where he could actually go in, and yet his daughter, she couldn't even really believe it. Did you see that moment where she finally just is like, yes. Her dad was actually with her, holding her. Uh, way too often, I think we feel like this is what our relationship with Christ is like. Like he's, he's behind a window. And I, and I get that, right? Because scripture actually says we live in this in-between time. This is why Advent is so powerful. Because Advent reminds us that not only has Christ broken into the world once, but he's coming to do it again. And he desires to do it with us, even now, even today, even this morning. I don't care where you've been, what you've experienced, what you've seen. In faith, God wants to embrace us. Sometimes it's hard for us to actually buy it, though, isn't it? Sometimes it's hard to believe that in faith, through belief, something that doesn't seem as real as what I can touch is actually more real. It's actually through faith that the barrier between what is real and what is true gets shattered. It's in faith when I believe, when I'm willing to believe, even when other people might think that I'm crazy, that's when I get to experience the blessing of God. 
the embrace of God. You see, it was never about what you were going to do anyway. Isaiah 61, as well as Luke chapter 4, when Jesus inaugurates his ministry and says, this is what I'm here for. He's the one doing the action. Now, I'm not saying you're just a passive participant, that you don't do anything about it. Of course, we have a role to play to partner with God in the work that he wants to do. And do we screw that up from time to time? Absolutely, I do. I'm sure you're not a lot different from me. But at the end of the day, it was never about how good I could be, and it was never about how good you could be. It was always about how good he is, and if we're willing to believe it in faith. That's the difference maker. I know during this season, I want to have that kind of faith. (laughs) I need it. Like, I need it, need it. I don't want to just experience God on the other side of a window. I want to experience God full on in my life today. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says this. With this, I'd like to close. Uh, Excuse me, not 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I think that we have the wrong verse up there. So I'm just going to read it because I told them 1 Corinthians, and it's not. (laughs) 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Flip over there. Second Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 13, it says this. The Apostle Paul says, it is written, I believed, therefore I've spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. In other words, we're not afraid to talk about this. Do I always feel perfect? Do I always feel like I'm set free? Do I always feel like my chains are gone? Do I always feel like I'm living in the year of the Lord's favor? No, not always. But because I believe that what God has said is true, more true than what I experience, I'm not ashamed to talk about it. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away in 2020, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. If all you see is what you see, you're missing all that ought be seen. If all you see is what you see, you're missing all that ought be seen. There is a reality beyond 2020. There is a God who promises that what he has started, he will complete. There is a God who says he is proclaiming freedom for captives, sight for the blind, proclaiming the day of the Lord's favor. And he's the one that does it. He is making for himself 
a people, oaks of righteousness. Do we have a responsibility to partner? Absolutely, absolutely. But know this, what God says is more true than what we experience. We know it in faith, but it is also in faith that we actually begin to experience it. So some of you today, and with this I want to simply close, uh, you're probably in one of two camps. Worship team, you can start to come up and prepare. Some of you need to ask God for the faith to see what is unseen. Like you just have a hard time. Maybe it's just your personality, the way that God's made you. You just tend to be a little bit more rational. You've got a scientific mind. You're just like, I have a really, like faith just in and of itself is hard. Like prove it. Like until I can see like nuts and bolts, black and white, it's hard. Some of you need to simply say, God, help me see what is unseen. Help me see it. Help me see what is unseen. But God is not far off, I promise you. Uh, God desires to embrace us in faith. Ask him for the gift. Uh, There are some of us, though, that need to fix our eyes on what is unseen. Uh, Believing that it's true, like we're there. Yeah, maybe I don't always see it all the time. Maybe I don't always feel it all the time, but I know that it's true. But because of what's been happening in 2020, the difficulty, the frustration, maybe you've lost your job, maybe it just feels like you've been in a funk, maybe you feel like life just isn't normal, and like we all know, psychologists have been telling us, research has been showing us, depression's up, anxiety's up. For those of you that maybe have never struggled with that in the past, you're starting to feel it. Because we get so focused on what we can see in front of us. And that's normal. That's very human. Some of us, though, we need to stop focusing on what is seen and turn our focus to what is unseen. Paying attention to what is eternal, not the things that are going to rust and break and die. You don't have to fear COVID if you can't die. (laughs) I'm not saying being an idiot about it. Wear a mask, distance, be smart. But you don't have to fear COVID if you can't die. That is the faith that we have in Christ. We can serve other people. We can put what we desire aside to love other folks. It's in that space that we begin to recognize that what Jesus has said about us he is actually beginning to make true. What I'd like for us to do right now is I'd like for us to stand and I'd like for us to close our time in a prayer. And so I'm going to ask that it wouldn't just be a prayer that I pray over you, but this would be a prayer that we pray together for ourselves and for our neighbor. If you're joining us online, I know it's probably, maybe you're laying in bed right now. Get up out of bed, get on your feet. If you're sitting on the couch, stand up. I want you to pray this with us as well. We're going to pray this prayer for one another. Let's do it. God, make us into your oaks of righteousness. People who live in your freedom and favor, whose hearts are mended and whose eyes are fixed upon you in faith, waiting for the glass to come down 
and yet simultaneously in faith experiencing your embrace. We know you have broken our chains and set us free. Help us believe that what you say is true even when we don't feel it, especially when it's hard to see. Today, again, we choose to believe. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.